This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, September 23rd, 2018, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Andrew Pack. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. This morning's text comes from the first epistle of John, chapter 2, excuse me, verse 20 to 27. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. There's like a long pause. The 11 o'clock crowd. You guys are going to do good at 1030, I can tell. Um, uh, real quick before we dig in, my name's Andrew. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. Uh, one of the things we do uh, in kind of my wheelhouse is we do road groups. Uh, road groups are an intentional space as a church uh, where we make uh, room to eat together and pray together on a regular basis uh, throughout. We have groups as far down as Shoreline, as far north as Marysville at this point in time, uh, Lake Stevens area. Uh, we're trying to create space where, where every member of the church can be loved and love, can serve and be served, can be known and be known, or can know and be known. And part of that is just the reality that if the only time we ever see other people that we are in church community with is on a sun, during the Sunday morning appointment, it's very likely we're not going to actually be able to do all the things the Bible calls us to do as Christian people as we love one another, serve one another, and know one another. So we would love for you to join us. We'll have some road group leaders in the back after service. You can get one of these fancy pieces of paper. You can sign up on the website. We would love to help connect you with one of those groups. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, we have some on the table out there. I would love for you to grab one. We'll be in the uh, words of John, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 1, which is about here, not John's Gospel. 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Let me pray for us, and then we will go ahead and dig in. King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. Uh, We are people that are created by the Spirit's work through your word to show us Jesus. We exist as a church. We exist as Christian individuals. We exist as Christian community because of your work through the word, God, by the Spirit to show us the Son. I pray for us today, Lord, that we we would just cherish what you've given us. We cherish the opportunity you've given us to hear from you and to know you and to love you and and, and that we would cherish your self-disclosure to us. Holy Spirit, I pray we would hear today the truth that the Scripture has for us. We can only do that, Spirit, if you 
do that in Jesus. We can only glorify Your name if You are with us. And so we plead and ask that whatever is just of me would be forgotten, but the things that are of You would just sing in our hearts now together. Jesus, we love You and pray these things for Your glory and for our joy in Your name. Jesus Christ, Amen. So right now we're in a a bit of a sermon series we're calling, uh, Am I Saved? Uh, And we're asking this very important question as we examine ourselves, am I a Christian person? This is an important question to ask. And I think that it's an important question to ask, an important question to know the answers to, because there are times in our lives as Christian people where we can be discouraged, we can be downhearted, uh, we don't know where we're at with God, we don't know what's going on in our lives, and we miss that the Word of God has actually told us what we need to know. If you confess with your lips and you believe in your heart that you belong to Jesus, not only does the Bible tell us plenty about God, but it tells us about His relationship and his feeling towards us and who we actually are in him. And I pray for you right now that if you are in that spot, if it is dark or hard for you, that you would go to God's word and see what it says about him first and foremost, but also see what it says about you because you belong to him. Likewise, our huge concern is that you could be in here today and you might be, have been part of Christian community or church for many, 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 many years. And, and you don't actually know Jesus because you actually haven't, taking the time to stop and look at the reality that you're a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. You haven't understood that, that we're saved by Him and what He's done in our lives and that our whole lives are this wonderful, joyful response to what Jesus has done in us, empowered by His Spirit. And so if you're in here today, that's what we're inviting you into. And likewise, this might be your first time in a church gathering type setting ever. And I hope that today you walk out knowing what we believe this thing is because we don't think that this is a, a, a dusty collection of rules. We believe this is God's self-disclosure to us. This is something God has done uh, by the power of his spirit to show us who he is in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that is my help for us as we dig in. And and as we do this, uh, I want to reflect on the words of this great church father named Augustine, which you've probably heard of. Now, Augustine made the observation that the way, one of the ways that you can tell that you are a Christian is that you can look down the pipe of your own life and you can see where God has been at work. That you can take a moment and find these Ebenezers where you say, look at what God did in my life. Namely, He saved you, right? If you're in here today and you're a Christian, He saved you from yourself by His grace and His mercy and His blood and His cross. What a great thing to celebrate every day of our lives. But not only that, we joyfully look at the ways that He's been faithful and worked constantly in our lives. And sometimes it's even hard to actually see how much work He's been doing in our lives. So we take a moment to just pause and put down your smartphone and look down the pipe of your life and celebrate what God has done by the Spirit in the name of Jesus in your life. And so what I want us to do today is as I'm I'm preaching, as I'm speaking, as we're assessing ourselves and we're thinking about this, I want you to, to, to reflect on your life and see specifically where the Word of God has impacted you where God has used His Word either through the preaching of Scripture, through the reading of Scripture, through the memorization of Scripture. But I want you to actually look and see in your life where God has actually used His Word to move in your life. That the Spirit has shown you things about Jesus. Where God has done stuff. Because I would argue today, if we are Christians and we're walking, we should actually be able to look in our life and see how God has spoken to us, changed us, or moved in our lives through His Word. And so... We're here, we're in 1 John, we're in chapter 1, and I want us to look at three things that I think John is is telling us in this epistle, this letter. Uh, He's going to tell us about the authenticity, the reality, and conformity to Scripture. 
so that it's authentic, it's real, it's bona fide, and linked very closely to its authenticity, its legitness, which is a word I just made up, is its authority in our lives because it's real, it's bona fide, it's authentic. It also has an, it's an authority in our lives. We do what it says and we listen to it about Jesus. Secondly, reality, it's going to frame out for us what reality actually is. And thirdly, conformity. Uh, as we love Jesus and live in the gospel and live by his grace, God's spirit uses God's word to change us and to make us more like Christ. So those are the things we're going to look at today. So here we are. We're in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Now, John is likely an old man as he's writing this book. Uh, and it's very likely that he's writing this book. Well, it's first, you know, it's He's writing this book in response to this group of people called Gnostics, which, you know, I don't know, sounds like a, I don't know, vampire biker gang or something. I don't know what it is, right? The Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were these people who were hyper-spiritual. Spirit good, body bad. This is honestly very normal Pacific Northwest spirituality. This is what you're going to find sold at the little shop of light up the street. That that spiritual things are good and and material things are bad. And there's this spiritual reality and everything spiritual is good. If it's spiritual, if I'm having a spiritual experience or talking about spiritual things, that spiritual thing must be good. Those are the Gnostics. So as much as you can be like, oh, that Gnostics, that sounds weird and old and and, and distant and far, I actually would argue that it's actually very near to the reality in which we're ministering. Now, uh, I think John is writing 1 John in response to the fact that they have taken his gospel, which by the way, if you are in a book, if this is your first time in the Bible, hopefully there's a one in front of John. The first time I ever heard Christian preaching that I can remember, the pastor was in 1 John and I was in John's gospel, which is about here. And if that's you, that's fine. We are really glad you are here. We would love to help you learn to navigate the Bible. So don't be embarrassed. Just switch to 1 John, right? It's okay. It's okay. So John's gospel's here. We're in 1 John. It's here. Um, so John, 1 John is likely a response to people taking John's gospel and getting weird with it, okay? And he's writing, and the, the people are getting weird with it, specifically these Gnostics. That which was from the beginning. He's calling back to John 1.1, which is the first verse in John's gospel, by the way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John's going to use the Word two ways. Sometimes he's talking about Scripture, and sometimes he's talking about Jesus. The reason he uses the Word to talk about Jesus is because Jesus is God's self-disclosure to humanity. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Jesus is God's clearest self-disclosure to humanity. So he's likely calling back to, to John's gospel, his own gospel that he wrote uh, here, that which was from the beginning. So when he's thinking about that, I would argue, because John 1.1 1, 1 is this remix of, uh, in the beginning was the word, is this remix of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John's got in mind this whole thing that gets us from the creation of everything to the revelation of Jesus and into what we, where we now live with John in the church era. That which was from the beginning. Now again, the Gnostics are into spiritual stuff, not physical stuff. Now listen to what he says. He's being intentional here. That which we have heard. Because by the way, they thought that Jesus wasn't... Because if material is bad and Jesus is awesome, then Jesus couldn't have been material. So Jesus was likely kind of like a spirit or something. He just looked like he was real. They had a lot of weird theories that we won't even get into. But basically, he's a spirit walking around that everybody thought was a person. John says, no, 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 listen. 
That which we, and I would argue here he's talking about the apostolic witnesses, those apostles called by God who are the authors of the Bible. He's talking about this group here. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we actually saw him, we looked upon and have touched with our hands, almost sounds a little redundant. It's called clarity. He's trying to be clear on it. Because they probably got his gospel wrong because they squinted and held it wrong. Concerning the word of life. And he's talking about Jesus there. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life. Now when John talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about heaven someday. He's talking about our life in Christ which begins when we become a Christian person. That we have this eternal life in Christ. This even, you could say, even heavenly life in Christ that begins now and only gets better from here. That that we know Jesus and we have this real relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus, by His Spirit, for His glory and our joy. And it just goes from here and it just gets better and better. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about eternal life. Which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God does not just give us a relationship with God alone, and the Word of God does not just give us a relationship with each other. The fact that we belong to Jesus and believe His Word changes who we are to be people who love God and have a special relationship with God's people. These are things we just kind of let go by the silence. These are things we don't always think about. But these are the grand, deep realities that we live in right now. This is your reality now. You are a spirit-indwelt child of God. And this is the local expression of God's family. And we're here to enjoy Jesus now and forever. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. We worship a God who has never done anything wrong ever. It's, it's hard for us as fallen beings who are at least tainted by the broken world in which we live to imagine the possibility of a being who is all right and no wrong, all good and no bad, all light and no dark. And yet this God has chosen to reveal Himself in His Son Jesus who's come to save us from ourselves and from our sin and from death and from destruction. Now listen, this will be important as we move through the the texts we're looking at today. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. The Greek word there, all, means all, which means absolutely everything. 
That means if you come in here today and you say, well, I see all y'all, you're just trying to clean up your, you know, you clean up your lives and maybe I need to clean up my life so I can become a Christian. I can know this God and put on my Sunday best and put on my church clothes and do this thing. You need to know that we're not people who have our lives put together who are saying, why don't you come and be like us? We are people who are saying we've been saved. We are sinners saved by the grace of God and that we want to show you who Jesus is. And we want to show you his love and his forgiveness and that he will cleanse you from all sins. I mean, imagine this Christian. You have committed sins that you don't even remember that he has forgiven you for. That is a deep and profound truth that gives us great cause to sing and great joy in our lives. Not only has he forgiven you from the things that you know about, he's forgiven you for the things you've forgotten about. All sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where the people who come to God say, You're God, I'm not. You're holy, I'm not. Save me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. His truth. Now the Bible contains this scriptural truth. And I would argue that it is authentic. And this is the point or one of the points of 1 John 1, 1 through 10. He wants you to know that this is bona fide. This is real. The truth in the scriptures about Jesus, it's verifiable. It's crunchy. It's tangible. These are not a set of distant, dusty, philosophical doctrines. This is the truth of Jesus, God himself, who lived on earth, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, who will return and save sinners from death to life, not because of anything we have done, but everything that He has done. It's tactile. It's real. Something you can wrap your hands around. And I would argue that authenticity has an external and an internal component. If you go with me to 2 Peter, it's helpful if we understand how the Bible actually comes together to understand what we're actually talking about here. We're in 2 Peter. We are looking at our note to know where we're going to be. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're in verse 19. Second Peter 1. I'll start in 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Again, I saw it. I'm writing you this letter so that you know what I saw. Right? Of His majesty. For when, received, when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice that was born to Him by the mag, uh, majestic glory, this is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice. Pete is saying, I didn't dream it. God speaks through dreams. It wasn't a vision. God speaks through visions. Uh, it wasn't just a voice inside my head. God speaks to our conscience. So don't, don't hear me wrong. Okay? Got it? Good. He's saying, I actually heard the voice of God from heaven. And Jesus was right there, and he doesn't mention this. Oh, and by the way, Moses and Elijah were both there. And if you don't know your Bible, both Moses and Elijah were dead for a long, long time. Well, Elijah's carried up 
into heaven, and you know, Moses was definitely dead, but they'd been gone and off the earth a very long time. We're getting technical. I see somebody out there being like, oh yeah, he didn't. I'm going to send you an email. You're right, Elijah didn't die. Anyways. Now mind you, this is sweet Pete who heard this voice and his response to all these things is to say, Jesus, should we set up camp? Should we, should we make some tents for you and Moses and Elijah? And of course, when you read Mark's Gospel, which is Peter's actual account, he says, because he didn't know what to say. Because by the way, if you're there in front of Moses and Jesus and Elijah and God's voice speaks from heaven, you don't know what to say either. Right? I don't at least. Maybe you're better than me. I'm in with Pete, so hey, he wrote the Bible. But he's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. It wasn't, it wasn't these other things. God does speak through the other things, but he's saying this was, this was crunchy. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Jesus comes as a confirmation of everything that has been written in the first 78% of your Bible. The Old Testament, which you should read, uh, isn't just there for you to figure out whether or not you should eat shellfish or not. The whole of the Old Testament exists for the church today to tell us about Jesus. To tell us about Jesus. Which it does. So read it. It's the first 78% of your Bible. It's not just there for fun. It's not just there to make it look bigger, right? But Jesus comes as a confirmation of everything that's there in the Scripture. But then listen. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will uh, do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The, the Old Testament is shining this truth of what God's going to do in the world. Isaiah tells us that, that not only is the Messiah going to come, the Messiah is going to die, the Messiah is going to pay for sins, but the Messiah is going to come rule and reign, and the Messiah is going to wipe every tear from every eye. And he's saying that was all about Jesus. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy, listen, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It wasn't just written by a bunch of guys. The Bible is not just Pete's opinion. Uh, it didn't come out of thin air. Uh, it, it's none of those things. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So this is how God has written Scripture. He has taken ordinary people across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He has taken those ordinary people and He's used their life and their background and their grammar and their syntax. Some's in Hebrew. Some's in Greek. A little's in Aramaic. Right? He's using their times and their places. John, in the book of Revelation, has horrible, horrible syntax by that, I mean the way he puts the words together when you're reading it because he's trying to be clear on things that he, uh, where he's at in life doesn't actually quite know how to put together in Greek, so he actually does it wrong, but the truth is still right. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. If you want to read about Greek grammar and syntax, I'd love to tell you more about it some other time. But it's fascinating to me that God uses ordinary people in ordinary places with their ordinary abilities and then uses the Spirit, moves in their life that the Word says exactly what God wants it to say. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is without mistake. And the point of that book is to show you about Jesus. The point of the Bible is to show you about what God is doing in history 
And the point of God's Word is God's self-disclosure to humanity. And to think, we are so tempted to say, eh, I'll start my Bible reading plan in January. God, God will speak to you by His Word. But not, not only is there this... Oh, pardon me. Now, having said that, you know, we need to understand that the Bible tells us history from God's point of view. And the way that it comes together are these three ways. Uh, and they don't mean the words that you think they mean, uh, but they're, it's apostolic, it's Catholic, and it's orthodox. Let me unpack it. Uh, Catholic or universal is what it means. All the churches everywhere. Uh, that's what that word means, universal, Catholic, universal. Uh, all the churches in the early church agreed to the same books. There was consensus amongst the early church. There was some debate. Some people liked one book. Some people liked another book. But the, the, one of the things that arrived and what ended up in what we would call the Bible or the New Testament were the ones that everybody was actually agreeing on. And part of that is that they were orthodox. Meaning that they were actually consistent with each other. Uh, every once in a while, somebody likes to write a book and says, oh, look, the Gospel of Thomas. To be frank, we've always known about the Gospel of Thomas. There's plenty in the historical record about the church fathers and people knowing about the Gospel of Thomas. And they say, you know what? That thing's got some weird stuff in it. Doesn't belong in the Bible. It's not Scripture. Moving on, right? It wasn't like hidden. They were just like, no, it's not Scripture. But in addition to that, it's apostolic. And by apostolic, I mean there is an apostolic connection to the books in the Bible. John was an eyewitness to Jesus. Luke writes, has a connection to Paul, who is an eyewitness to Jesus, though a little late to the game. Uh, Mark writes Peter's account. Matthew was a disciple. Uh, Paul, again, wrote the 13 letters. Uh, John writes John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, and so on and so forth. Most of them have this clear apostolic connection. Now, here are the objections to all the things that I've just said. One is a historical and one is a moral objection. Dan Brown, thank you, Dan Brown, in the Da Vinci Code, has popularized a theory that says that a guy named Constantine uh, strong-armed and put together the thing in your hands called the New Testament. There's a lot of problems with that. You don't necessarily need to know all of them. I just need you to know there's problems with them. Here they go. First of all, Constantine had these two buddies. They were both named Eusebius. The Eusebioi were both sympathetic to this other guy, Arius. Now, you don't need to remember Arius. You just need to know that Arius is basically a Jehovah's Witness. Arius doesn't believe that Jesus is God. He believes he's like God, but he's not God. So you have Arius over here, who everybody likes. And then you have Athanasius on the other side. We love Athanasius because Athanasius risked everything to stand on the Scriptures and to protect the Bible. But here's the thing about Athanasius you need to know. He wasn't the most well-liked guy. He is the guy that if you were at a church with him and you were looking for counseling from him a pastor, you'd say, can I talk to somebody other than Athanasius? He's kind of a jerk. So he's not the most well-liked cat in the world. So you have Athanasius on one side as kind of the representative of Orthodox, what we call Orthodox Christianity, what we believe, and you have Arius, this other guy. And Constantine doesn't care. He's pragmatic. He's practical. Christianity has risen in the empire, and these Christians are fighting, and it's interrupting business. So he gets everybody in a room together. He gets these people called bishops. So don't think bishops like, like now bishops, like Catholic bishops with big hats. Uh, think like lead pastor in every town. So all these guys get in the same room together for the first time, and they agree, yes, these are the books we already know are Scripture. But they're the books that everybody already knew were Scripture. Now people say, oh, Constantine made it happen. Here's the thing about that. Arius is more popular. 
Those two Eusebioi, two of his best buddies, BFFs, who, who uh, are kind of in his ear and telling him things to do, they're actually both sympathetic to Arius. And it actually seems a lot of people that are sympathetic to Arius. And the story goes that Constantine comes in and strong arms these other guys. Here's the problem with that part of the story. Those pastors, most of which lived through the last of the six great persecutions that the church experienced in the early church era. That means there's literally guys in the rooms who the room have had their hands cut off for Jesus. They're not afraid of Constantine. They're not going to bow the knee to him for convenience sake. They've actually already had everything taken away from them for Jesus. Why would they bow a knee then? It just actually doesn't actually make sense. But you have a lot of guys. One of them is a guy named Bart Ehrman, and you don't really need to know his name except for the fact that he's like on The Daily Show. Bart Ehrman appears on like late night shows. He's in popular culture and writing popular books that basically say the Bible's not legit. And he's going to say, listen, I, I'm, he's looking for and he wants to find historical evidence to, to disprove the fact that we have piles and piles and piles and piles of evidence. By that, I mean by way of manuscripts. Copies of copies of copies of copies that are extremely carefully done of the Scripture, and they go back a long, long time. And the same books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so on, so forth, are the books that they kept copying, and when they made a mistake, they'd cross it out and burn the book and start over. That's how serious they were about it. If they made a mistake, they'd be like, oh, well, there goes that vellum, which, by the way, is like awesome sheepskin paper they wrote on. Uh, it's expensive, it's costly, and if they messed it up, they actually got rid of it. And that's, that's something that had been done with the Hebrew scribes as well. People took a lot of care to get the Bible that's in your hands, in your hands. A lot of care. Beyond what you can even really comprehend. But anyways, Bart Ehrman thinks he can find evidence that it's not legit. But here's the problem with Bart Ehrman and a lot of people. It's actually a moral problem. Because Bart Ehrman is this great, so-called great New Testament scholar who's trying to disprove the legitimacy of the Bible. But he's also said, because I can't possibly believe the God of the Bible. I think that God is not a good God. And so that Bible must not be legit. So he's actually coming to the table with an assumption. And that's that God's not real. Therefore, the Bible can't be doing all the things the Bible does. Because what does the Bible do? Well, it's consistent over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Let's start there. It's telling the same story that's clearly about Jesus. And not only that, but that when Jesus came, he fulfills scriptures that are written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. Things that are impossible. In biblical scholarship, we have this thing called prophecy ex eventu. Uh, it's an idea where you say, listen, it seems like Daniel really predicts these things or Isaiah really predicts these things and, the way, and it can't be true. Well, how do we know Isaiah is not true? Because he predicted things that actually happened. They call it ex eventu. It means after the fact. The only way that Isaiah could have written so clearly and so specifically about these things that happened with the Assyrians, and this can be applied all throughout Scripture, by the way. I'm just using Isaiah because Assyrian is kind of a fun word to say. And I like Isaiah. I like the Bible, to be honest with you. But they look at it and say, the reason Isaiah can't actually be talking about these things that would happen is because they actually happen in prophecies not real. Well, there's a problem with that. As Christians, we're supernaturalists. We believe God gets to do what God wants to do when God wants to do it because he's the sovereign ruler of everything, period. He's the king. He does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, for his glory and our joy, period. I got one from you. That's good. It's good. At least someone's awake. You're all awake. It's good. It's 11. You're out of bed. We're here. Now, the amazing thing about Scripture is not only is this external 
uh, authenticity, but there is an internal authenticity uh, in the life of the church. And this is especially important for us as we look down the pipe of our life and consider where we're at with Jesus and with his word. If you would go with me to 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, or we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age, meaning this world that's organized against Christ, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. Stop. So what he's not talking about is like secret scrolls that Indiana Jones is going to find. He's not talking about something hidden. He's talking about something that was hidden that's being revealed by God. We're talking about something that happened in the past that comes to fruition through Christ. All the, all the promises of the Old Testament find their yes in Jesus. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood what, would they have not crucified Christ? The Scriptures. If they had actually understood the Scriptures, they would not have crucified Christ. They would have worshipped Christ. They would not have put Him on a cross. They would have put Him on a throne. But they didn't get that Isaiah 53 tells us that He's going to bear all our sins. They didn't get that all our sins and lawless deeds were going to be no more because of the new covenant. They didn't get that the Messiah was coming to suffer first and then to wipe the tears from the eyes. But it's there and we can see it after the fact. We can look through the lens of Christ as we read the Old Testament and see what it's saying. We say, yes, look, it's so obvious. It's clear. And we impart this in words, not taught. Oh, pardon me. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you read your Bible? Do you hear what it just said about those of us who are in Christ? This is an eternal life that begins now. God has more in store for us than we can possibly comprehend. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Capital S. Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here's what I mean by an internal authenticity. When we read God's Word, the Spirit, if you are a Christian, illumines our mind. It lights us up and we can actually understand what it's even saying. Apart from the work of the Spirit, you cannot comprehend what is in this book. Apart from the work of the Spirit, you don't know what it's actually saying. There are just scores of quote-unquote biblical scholars who have rejected Jesus, have rejected the Gospel, and they look at this thing and they study this thing and they can parse Greek verbs like nobody's business and yet they look at it and they don't understand that this is telling them about Jesus. Because they don't have the Spirit. Conversely, and I, I want you to hear this, especially if you're in here and you don't know Jesus. 
please grab one of our Bibles, take it home, start in Matthew's Gospel, and as you open up God's Word, talk to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please show me Jesus. If this is real, I want in. Show me, please. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people getting saved that way, by the way. The Spirit is not some figment of our imagination. The Spirit's alive and well and at work in our church as we speak. When you get up in the morning to read your Bible, you're going to meet with God when you do that. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to move in our lives and give us communion with God. The Spirit indwells us. Not only does He indwell us, He fills us, He leads us, He guides us, He empowers us, and He moves. Because by the way, like I said, we're supernaturalists. We believe God's alive. Do you come to God's Word with an anticipation that He's going to speak? Do you believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak? He's, you know, here's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit and His grace and mercy. Even when you don't, sometimes He still does. <laughs> right? Even when you don't expect for Him to move in your life, to reveal something in your life, show you something in your life, illumine the Word in your life, do something in your life, He loves you more than you love you. And he actually loves you more than you love him. And he's at work. This is all good news, by the way. This is all good news. Okay, so not only uh, is there this authenticity, I would argue if we believe this, there's this authority, right? Because this problem is that, that we want to go to the Word and so often we want to say, I would believe, again, coming back to our moral problem, I would believe in this God or this Bible, except for I can't possibly believe this. I can't possibly believe this thing about what the Bible says about X, Y, or Z. I would just ask you this one thing, especially if that's you, if this is you, right? Do you think that if you were to have an encounter with the divine, that the divine should flex to you and your opinions, or that you should be changed by the divine when you have an encounter with the divine? When you have an encounter with God, and you understand that God has revealed Himself in His Son, Jesus, and by His Word, should we go to the Word and tell the Word what the Word should say, or should the Word change us? I would argue that if you have an encounter with the divine, the divine should be changing you, not the other way around. Go with me to John chapter 2. 1 John, pardon me. 1 John 2, uh, we're going to be in uh, verse... We'll start in verse 18. So, not only uh, is it authentic, and I would argue, therefore, authoritative, it also frames out our understanding of reality. Verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Oh, pardon me. Verse 18. Let's start in 18. Children. I love John because he's grandfatherly and loving. He, he tells you a lot of things. He tells you things you need to know. Sometimes he gives you hard truths like a good grandfather, but he also then says loving, kind things like children. That's a really kind way. It's a really, uh, in, in, the, in the original, it's a really familial, kind, grandfatherly thing. Children. It'd be weird for me to say that because I'm not grandfatherly, but, you know, that's what he's doing. Children. Children, it is the last hour, meaning the time between Jesus ascended and the time he will return. And as you have heard, the Antichrist, so this figure who is uh, organized against God and sort of this representative of the dominion of darkness, is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. 
So there's this figure, the Antichrist, but then he starts to say, but now many Antichrists have come. Uh, in Greek, you could read it, it's just as plain as day, Antichristos, Antichrist, against Christ. The Bible doesn't do neutral zones or gray areas. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. You're with him or you're against him. If you're in here today and you say, well, I like Jesus, but not really the church. Well, I like Jesus, but I don't really like Paul. He's kind of grumpy. One, I would say every time anyone's ever said that to me, and I'm saying this to you now from here, which is whatever, so we can talk about it afterwards also if that's you. Right? I don't want to just like stand here and berate you like that. Let's talk about it. If someone has said that, usually I ask them how much of Jesus they've actually read. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Things like that. Jesus says plenty of offensive things all on his own, and I would argue at the end of the day, Jesus is more offensive than Paul. So you say, well, I like Jesus, but not Paul. Well, Paul's actually kind of a lightweight compared to Jesus, but Jesus is God and Paul's not. So hey, you're either for Christ or you're against Christ. And I don't say that to like put you on the spot if you're here and you're not a Christian. I mean to say that to be honest with you about reality. And I want you not to be antichrist. I want you to be for Christ. I want you to get saved. I want you to be a Christian. I want you to know the grace of the gospel and love him and respond to him. They went out, um, therefore, uh, therefore we know that it is the last hour. We, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So he's talking about people who claim to be Christians who walked away, not people who go to a different church, just to be clear. He's talking about people who were part of the family of God and then renounced Christ. Uh, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And all, uh, you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the bedrock of reality. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus was who the Bible says he is. This is the Antichrist. Listen. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son and has the Father. Well, you know, he's really religious and nice, but he's not a Christian. Well, I'm I'm afraid he's not a Christian then. You don't have the Father, you don't have the Son, you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning, again, I think it goes all the way back to Genesis through the Christ event and His coming and His death and His resurrection. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, this truth that we have in Scripture, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise made to us, eternal life. We live by the Word of God and the Word of God is our framework for reality. God created everything. Human beings broke it. We need to be saved from ourselves and from our sin and from Satan and from hell. And Jesus comes and does that. And Jesus will return and restore all things. And our problem so often is that we actually take 2018, we start with 2018 and our framework for reality here, and then try and figure out how we can fit the Bible into our modern life. What we actually need to do is start with the Word and allow the Spirit to change us by the Word. And not try and figure out how to fit the Bible into 2018, but understand how to navigate 2018 through the lens of the Scriptures. We need to start with the Word of God and go from there. It is our framework for reality. And I think that is what John is after. Uh, But it is not only our framework for reality, which frames everything. If you go with me to 1 John 2, verses 1-6. through So we've talked about authenticity, reality, and now conformity. We're actually conformed to the Word of God. 
Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, there he is again. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He loves them. But if anyone does sin, listen. We have an advocate with the Father. I don't know what you bring in here today, but you need to know if you are a Christian person and you have some sin that's hiding away, something you don't want anybody to know about, something you just want to keep covered and, and keep under wraps uh, and take to your grave with you. We walk in the light. We confess our sin. We're honest with God. God, I've sinned against you. And you're honest with the people if you need to confess sin to people because we actually believe we have an advocate with the Father, the Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is greater than any sin you've ever sinned. He's mighty to save and we walk in the light. Because we have an advocate with the Father. This is profound. Is this how you live your life? Knowing that Christ Jesus is your representative to a holy God who says, if you are a Christian, I've paid the price for their sins. They belong to me. That's powerful. That's powerful in repentance. Knowing that I have an advocate. When I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus, Jesus is for me. He's not sitting there being like, about time. I mean, it's kind of, I think it's about time in a sense, but not the way that I just said it, if you know what I mean, right? Tone counts. I think the about time is the about time you've come and waded out into the goodness of the gospel and freedom from sin and cleansing from unrighteousness and from darkness. It's about time you turn from your sin and turn to me because I'm your advocate and I've been here the whole time. I paid the price for your sins on the cross. Come home. Come home. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's a fun word to say. You should say propitiation in your Bible. If your Bible has says expiation, you might want to get a new Bible. We can talk about that afterwards, though. Propitiation means that Jesus Christ has paid the price for the wrath that we deserve for our sins. He's paid the price for every wrong thing, wiling out and rebellion I've ever done. He's paid the price for all the right things I've done for the wrong reasons, which we're so inclined to do, by the way. And he's paid the price for every good thing I've ever decided not to do that I should have. He's dealt with all of those. He drank the cup of wrath that I deserve so that I don't have to. Listen to this, though. For our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. The cross was sufficient to deal with all the sins anyone has ever committed against God. It's simply applied to those who he calls. But it gives him double rights over everybody. He has rights over everybody. People stand before judgment and Jesus said, I had paid the price for your sins and you rejected me. This propitiation is applied to those who are called by God. And by this we know that we have come to know him if what? If we keep his commandments. Welcome to 2018 where we say, ooh, keep his commandments. I got a better one for you. Go with me to John's Gospel. John chapter 15, verse 3. Pardon me, chapter 14, verse 15 says, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, listen to this though, this is amazing, right? We forget verse 16. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, helper, Holy Spirit, helper. That's the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you'll obey me. Now we say, well, Jesus, shouldn't you just love me unconditionally? I don't have to do anything you say or, or cherish you or care for you. That's not actually how love works. Like love is actually a kind thing and that you actually uh, love the people you love. And our love for God means, God, I actually trust you. God, I believe you when you tell me this is how the world works and these things are bad for me. You have a kid, if you have a two-year-old, you ever had a two-year-old? No one looks at the parent who has a two-year-old unless the two-year-old run into traffic and says, you know, Love isn't about commands and obedience. They say, what's wrong with you? Your kid's running into traffic. It's dangerous out there. All of God's commandments are based in truth. The commandments that are there in Scripture are based in the truth of the gospel and our response to Him and Him keeping us from running into traffic. We love to run into traffic. And God keeps saying, that's traffic. It will kill you. What are you doing? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. We believe what Jesus has said. When we say, Jesus, I don't want to do what the Bible says. We say, I don't care what you've said, Jesus. How far does that get with someone you love? Well, I don't really care what you've said. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do it anyways. Look down the pipe of your life. Are there places in your life where you say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do anyways. Are there places in your life where you did that and God saved you from that? authenticating, by the way. But here's how it works. So we're saved. We were dead and we're made alive. And then the Spirit moves in our life to change us and to conform us to God and to His Holy Scripture. The Spirit uses Scripture and moves in our conscience and in our life and does all these things to change us. So not only we say, but we're changed on the inside, but the thing is that that inside change must produce an outside uh, fruit. And by the way, when I say must, I mean it's like a response. My, one of my favorite old hymns, uh, you know, I always try and get, Candace I think has done it a couple of times. She's really gracious to do songs when you ask her sometimes. Uh, but one of my favorite old hymns is How Can I Keep From Singing? Right? What I love about that hymn, because Christ is Lord of heaven above, how can I keep from singing? I would contend that when the Spirit saves us and moves in our life, and we understand the Word of God and are conformed to the Word of God, we can't help but respond to the Word of God. We can't help but praise His name. We can't help but love God and love other people. And that is the primary barometer and compass to understand if the Word of God by the Spirit of God is making us like the Son of God. Do you love God more today than you loved Him yesterday? Do you love people more today than you loved them yesterday? This is the primary call in our lives, to love God and to love people. If we're being conformed to the Word of God, we'll love Him and love others more. And to be frank, sometimes again, we need to look down the pipe of our life, because maybe yesterday was a bad day. Maybe last week was a bad week, and maybe last month was a bad month. But when you look at where you were when you got saved to where you are today, is there change? Do you love God more now than you did before? This is why we do everything we do as Restoration Road Church. In obedience to the commandments of God. We do everything because of the Word of God. We gather on Sunday to sing songs to Jesus, to open God's Word, to preach from God's Word by the power of God's Spirit about God's Son, Jesus. Jesus. 
That is why we're here right now, right? Yes? Yes, there we go. All right, good. That's why I'm here. I don't know why you're here, but that's why I'm here. We do road groups to create space in our lives where we can know and love and serve other people and be known and loved and served by other people. We keep it simple. We eat together and pray together because it's very difficult to obey all the one another commandments if the only time you ever see people that you're at church together with is when you're in the building. It's actually very difficult to do what Jesus has said if this is the only space that you're interacting with other people from Restoration Road Church. And I know that some of you might say to yourself, self, or me in your head, to me when I'm on the stage, depending on you know, how your internal mind is working. Well, yeah, that's nice, but I have friends. That's nice, but I have Christian community. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe the reason you should join a road group is not for you, but for other people? Maybe you don't need a road group, but maybe a road group needs you. Maybe, maybe you have enough friends, but maybe there are people who need Christian friends, and maybe the road group is the place where you connect with them, right? But we do everything because of the Word of God. We gather on Wednesdays for Westbound, uh, and Westbound's tonight for high school students as well, so don't be confused. Middle school, Wednesday, high school, tonight. Uh, we do classes studying the Word of God. We're starting these equipped cohorts. And all of these things are so our lives can be more and more confined and, uh, and conformed and flex around the Word of God rather than having the Word of God flex around our lives. This is why we do Restore Snohomish. Because God has called us to love our neighbors. It is the mechanism by which our church does that. We come together once a month to pray together. Pray often on your own. Get together with Christian people when no one's put it on the calendar. But we come together, sorry, that's falling, uh, once a month in here because there's something special that happens when the people of God who are indwelt by the Spirit, this is amazing, right? So you're indwelt by the Spirit, and yet when Jesus says, or two or more are gathered in my name, there am I also. So somehow we're already indwelt by the Spirit, and yet there's a special presence of God when we're all here together, and there's something beautiful that happens when the people of God come together and cry out to the God of the universe and ask Him for help as a team, as a family. Everything we do, we do because of the Scripture. So again, look down the pipe of your life. Is this authentic to you? Does your life reflect that the Word of God is authentic and, yes, authoritative? As you look down the pipe of your life, is it the framework for reality for you? Do you look out the window and know that it rains because God said so, or it rains because there's clouds and it's Washington and it's raining? It's that, it's that simple. Do you understand that God is holding every particle of everything in the universe together all at the same time? Is that your framework for reality? And are you more conformed to God's Best gauge. Do you love people more? Or you love God more. If you're in here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to say this one more time. I'm just pleading with you. Please take one of our Bibles. You can honestly have. I'm not joking. You can have this one. I will give it to you right now. Take a Bible. Take it home. Open it up. You'll find a book called Matthew. I'd start right there. You can start a lot of places, but I'd start in Matthew. Open up that book and say, Holy Spirit, will you show me Jesus? I want to know you, God. Will you help me? He doesn't say no to people who call out to him. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, if you're in here today and you are a Christian, but you look down the pipe of your life, and it is, not, it is not these things. It is not the authority. The word is not your frame for reality. Uh, you are not more conformed to the word. 
What needs to change? Like, cancel your lunch plans. Call in sick tomorrow. There's nothing more important in your life that you would get right with Jesus. There's literally, it won't wait till your kids are out of middle school. It won't wait until your vacation. It won't wait till the weekend. There's literally nothing more important than you seeking the face of God in Jesus Christ. And if you're in here today and you're a Christian, and this is you, your life is more conformed to the Scripture. Of course, it's never perfect, but, but you can look down in your pipe and say, man, look at all the things God has done. This isn't just about you. What are you going to do in your life to give up yourself to help other people follow Jesus more? Let's pray.